Welcome to Luxuries for Your Soul with Alexis Kletchian and Lauren Golt. Every episode is a look at life through the lens of luxury, whether it's the dismantling of belief systems, pursuing our passions, or standing in our truth. We approach each conversation with genuine curiosity of what it means to have a well-lived life. Is there a mantra you live by? A guiding principle to direct decisions or a phrase that serves as a reminder of how you want to live your life? We were inspired by the second season of Hulu's award-winning show, The Bear, and recorded our conversation about the importance of remembering that every second counts. You don't need to have watched the show to grasp the concepts and thoughtful chaos throughout The Bear. We invite you to listen and reflect upon the small gestures that inspire leveling up and the notion that it's never too late to invest in one another and rewrite the stories we tell ourselves. On that note, if you haven't already, now would be a great time to subscribe to this podcast and leave us your review. We love to read what our listeners have to say. You can also email us at info at luxuriesforyoursoul.com with your questions or comments to be included in an upcoming episode. Enjoy Lessons in Luxury. Every second counts. And I was excited that this was I think one of the maybe three or four times in our friendship where I've recommended a show to you and you've listened and watched it. So what did you think about what did you think about the bear? Because obviously I just had just finished season two and you hadn't watched either season. So you were starting from the beginning. I hadn't even heard of it. Baffling. Did you hear of it because you're in the restaurant business? No. Actually, my Pilates teacher last year when the first season came out I remember her talking about it and her just saying how it was so good and just raving about the performances and the storyline and just like it's one of those shows that just really reels you in and Mm -hmm. I'm like what's it about and she goes well it's about this guy and he's like a top chef and he moves back home and he has to take over his brother's shitty business after he dies and she's telling me this I'm like that sounds really depressed I don't think so and she goes I'm not telling you anymore. You just have to try it. Trust me. So I don't know, three days after that, like, ah, all right, I'll give it a try. And she was right. I just loved it. Got completely captivated and drawn into it. So what did you think? I loved it. It took me a couple of episodes for my eyes to calibrate to the color hmm. and the style of the filming. Interesting. Okay. It's not quite sepia and it's not quite full color. But did you notice that being a film buff? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's an in-between. Mm-hmm. So I was a little like, oh, man, I'm getting a headache. I, everything about me sensitive. <laughs> well, except this. But anyway, yeah, I have some words that I would associate to encapsulate my impression of the show. If you want to hear them. I do. But first, so you did watch the both seasons from... Start Mm -hmm. to finish. Okay. Just kidding. I did. And initially, I thought she probably watched this because she's just opened Bar Reverie. I was wondering if any of this show had inspired some of the things that you did at the restaurant. No, I'm really not sure, honestly, when the first season came out or when I watched it. I think, I feel like it was fall of last year. Anyway, I will say that having never worked in a restaurant prior to designing this one, I didn't know any of that. All of the things that Carmi talks about with the style of the line, what was it called? The Brigade? Yeah. French Brigade. Yeah. So I didn't know any of that. Yeah. So no. And that's not, you know, I'm everything that I had to do for this restaurant was all outward facing, customer facing design things. So none of the back of the house and that maybe that's why I was even more interested because that was an aspect of the restaurant. I wasn't having anything to do. Since watching it, have you gotten more involved in the back of the house? I'm very close with our chef and pastry chef and know everyone and definitely... Can we just give a shout out? The pastry chef is amazing. And if all of our listeners could order a box of croissants or something and have them shipped, it would be... Money well spent. A Fashora luxury. She really is. She's amazing. She really is. 
And she's so creative and always testing flavors and toppings. And she makes cakes. And yeah, she's Mm. incredible and just loves what she does. Just loves baking and the creativity. I can't say enough good things. She's incredible. I'm gaining weight just talking about it. I do a lot of the menu development, which, but that's still outward fame. I'm not in there. I mean, I'm in there shooting content and taking pictures and everything. So it's really interesting to see, which obviously relates to the show. But so talk to me about menu development, because in in this show, they talked about like a thoughtful chaos. And I know that there is a difference between fusion and chaos. Chaos is very trending, but you are more French. Are you trying to do a fusion? Tell us about the menu. Yeah, I would say not chaos. No, no. Definitely very focused on flavors, definitely very focused on seasonal vegetables and fruit, everything super fresh, the menu constantly changing because we even having been open for a month and a half, we have regulars. So we have a nice tight menu and we just add it new starters and entrees. And we've only been open a month and a half because we have that many regulars, which is awesome. But Mm -hmm. no, just I would say very clean, very flavorful. Manisha's an insanely talented chef from Paris who has a lot of experience, a lot of ideas, but she's new to America. Some of her ideas were just like, I don't think, I think it's a little too soon to present that to this crowd or we need to, that's great. But then if we're doing that, we need to do something that's a little bit more approachable. So the goal is always to be approachable. It's always to be beautiful. I would say she is definitely someone that, I don't know if I would describe it as less is more, but she's not a chef that feels like, okay, we need to add this, this, and this. It's if this beef tastes amazing, then let's let the beef taste amazing and pair it with things that enhance the flavor. But I almost feel like all of her dishes have a rock star and then, you know, supporting musicians around it, if you will. Okay. Yeah. How does she feel about salt and pepper? I've never asked and I won't. But when I was purchasing everything for the restaurant, yeah, I did not, I purposely did not buy salt and pepper. Like we have some in case people ask, but the tables are not set with salt and pepper shakers. I noticed that. Yeah. On purpose, because that's not how it should be. We do have... I mean, no, I, I think it's a... I personally was like, no, that's offensive to her. You're supposed to. Oh. And actually, if you if you think about okay, it. That's, I'm going to write that down. Offensive. What's offensive to a chef? And if you think about it, how many people and even yourself, do you ever put salt and pepper on your food before even tasting it? Depends on what it is. I put salt and pepper in it while I'm cooking it, but I am a big salt and pepper fan. But if you go out to eat and salt and pepper's on the table, have you ever noticed if you start seasoning your food before you've had a bite? I do, because I order the same things all of the time. If I'm trying something new, I will try it and then I will season it. What if you went to a new restaurant and you ordered tuna tartare, which you know you like everywhere you go, but it's a new restaurant. And how would you know if the chef didn't cook it differently? Well, I would look at it. And if it didn't have seasoning, I (laughs) I would use my eyeballs and I would say this has nothing on it I'm going to go for it I want to (laughs) guess to assume that they are receiving perfectly seasoned food and to try it as is as the chef intended it and if they want it salt and pepper they could ask for it okay I'm not speaking to your chef I'm just saying it in general one thing I noticed about Carmi and the bear was He really cared about the customer's experience. Like, of course, they're going to prepare everything perfectly. But if the customer wanted something different, it didn't seem like there was a big ego there. Make the customer happy. That's what the customer wants. Or overhearing something that a customer is saying and then catering to that customer. They even changed a dish at the best restaurant in the world. They went out and bought a deep dish pizza and Mm -hmm. then changed it into their style so that customer could have that experience. I've met a lot of chefs with incredible egos and you think, but this is service. 
What is this about? Is it about the food that you think it's amazing or is it about serving someone something that they really want? Mm-hmm. To satisfy someone. Yeah. So something as simple as salt and pepper, you're kind of like, okay, maybe I'm a salty gal. <laughs> I have a friend that would open up the pepper. She's German and she would always say, I like a lot of pepper. And she would just like, douse pepper all over everything she loved peppery food and we were all like oh my god that's a lot of pepper it's just it's it's interesting as a customer sometimes you think that's fair well it would be unfair if as a customer you said to your server could i please have some salt and pepper and they said no (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think i think you know the server's job is to make is to help enhance the experience and to be there to handle all of that. So so if a guest says, could I please have some salt and pepper, we accommodate that. Oh, yeah. Not really speaking to like you guys specifically, but I have seen interesting things in restaurants and watching this show kind of pointed some of those things out to me. Like recently we went out to eat and I ordered salmon. And when it arrived on my plate, it arrived skin up. And I was like, ew. I've never received salmon in that way. They mm-hmm. just, I, I thought to myself, oh, they didn't even care. They just threw it on the plate and said, here, it's not even good looking. And now I have to scrape it off, which I really wish that they would have served it to me without the skin instead of having it in my face. Right. I always take the skin off of my salmon. So, I would have probably been happy that it was served to me like that because then I could easily remove it. Because my problem is when I order salmon out, if the skin is still on there, usually mm-hmm. the salmon is on top of something, like whether it's like a bed of couscous or greens or it what was. have you. Yeah, it was on a salad. And if the skin's on the bottom, then I feel like I've now created a mess and it, the skin is now all over the couscous. Am I losing some of the couscous? So while visually, (laughs) my my precious couscous, my precious couscous, but while visually I agree, that's not a good presentation. And who knows, this could have just been a lazy, you know, cook that just threw it on there and didn't do it right. Or maybe it was done intentionally. So you could easily remove the skin if you weren't a skin person. We will never know. But true. But that is the first time I've ever been served a piece of salmon with the skin on. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, really? With the skin on, period? Yes. Oh, I feel like that happens a lot. Actually, Doesn't that's it? why I usually order my salmon well done because it makes it so much easier to get the skin off. Yeah. First time I've ever had it with the skin on. Hmm. So does that, I'm wondering, like, does that speak to the attention of the kitchen? Is it the difference between a chef and a cook? Right. You know, when when you think about the bear the brother who originally owned the restaurant, he's a cook, but Carmi is a chef. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, completely. Going back to what you said about, you know, accommodating guests and wanting to offer them the best experience, it is interesting because as I feel like most people probably know, in France, it's just not really as customary to go out to eat and have whether it's food allergies or say, can I have this, but put this on the side or take this and this and that off. That's just not really customary there. And so for our chef, we did make sure that we talked to her about that. So she knew to expect it um, would be okay accommodating because we're just a different culture in that way. There's a lot more food allergies over here, dietary restrictions, whether people are making them up because they just don't like it or (laughs) or they're on a diet or what have you. It's just completely different over here when you go out to eat. And our chef has been amazing, but we've had conversations where she's, she's funny. She's like, I can't believe... So someone just ordered the burger for lunch, but they don't want the buns. They were... Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just... It is really funny, but... That's been a big thing. Like the owner of the restaurant is like, here's the thing. We are in the service industry. This is supposed to be about giving our guests an incredible experience. That's the whole thing. So we have to accommodate. But I love that episode with the pizza in the bear 
season two. Right. It was incredible. And the other part of it I loved is the teamwork. Yes. You know, hearing it on the floor and then telling the chef and then how it was executed and everything. I mean, I had chills. And the pride. Yes. Yeah, I had chills. Pride in delivering it. Yeah. Oh. All right. Let's talk about that character specifically. He, Richie, was my favorite. Richie. Yes. So he was definitely my favorite character both seasons. For sure. Oh, yeah. 100%. So fun to watch. Constantly wondering what he was going to do next. He's a very talented actor. I enjoy. I enjoy how much he acts with his face and how the camera would kind of pause on his face because he had great expressions and you could tell he's an emotional Mm. person. His character is emotional, but obviously is a man of a certain generation and, you know, how he was raised and all that. So he's not going to come out and tell you how he's, you know what I mean? I found all of that to be really interesting and how they shot it and how he played it. Hmm. Yeah, you could really feel when he was being vulnerable, that it was genuine and you could witness his growth and you could just see the limiting stories that he told himself and he really believed in that. And then when he took the opportunity, which he thought was punishment, but then when he saw it as opportunity, and I know we're going to title the episode as this, that every second does count. And really Mm -hmm. what that means, his about face towards life. And then he began to have respect for himself, for the people he worked with, for the art of serving and creation and just, I'll say it again, life itself. I was like, that's the best. You wanted to hate him in season one and you (laughs) loved him in season two. And what does season three have in store for Richie? How is he going to blossom? And I love the journey of somebody. That's my favorite toy. So for Any of our listeners who haven't watched the show, in season one, Richie, who is the main character's brother's best friend, the brother has passed away. And when Carmi, the main character, comes back to take over his restaurant, he basically has to work with Richie because Richie's been there all the time helping. Well, he thinks he's been helping. You know, (laughs) he's a know-it-all. He thinks he knows more than anybody else. He has relationships with everybody that works there and they're very much a family but they've all just been doing everything at this restaurant wrong and not efficiently functional family functional family yes yes so the brother who died by suicide not only has left this business behind but obviously an emotional shitstorm where Mm. no one's talking about it no one knows how to feel no one knows how to process so this richie character in season one is incredibly interesting because he's arrogant and cocky. He doesn't want anything to change. He's has an old school sort of toxic masculine mentality about things. And by the end of the first season, you see huge emotional growth. You see that he's really started to trust Carmi. He starts to trust the trajectory. He understands that this all comes from a good place. You kind of get the feeling that he's starting to actually process that his best friend took his own life and his best friend must have been really sad and just all of those things. And then come season two, he's still has a lot of growing to do. And then we reach this episode that we're going to dive into now, which I think was also your favorite when he's working at this restaurant. Yeah. And something I also want to say about Richie in season two is he understands who's there for him in life. And what matters, he wasn't originally part of the feed. They became family from a young age. And it is a, a brotherhood that he always wanted, but it was really dysfunctional. And there's so many moments of knowing that you're all I have. This is all I have. I want to make this work. Because mm-hmm. life and the tori- story I was telling myself is, is not the reality. We're all better than this. Yeah. I loved how in season two, you began to see how the team came together and that they invested in one another and they treated one another as equals. Like how we were just talking about the chef and, you know, back of the house, front of the house, all working in unison to you're not better than I am. I may have like a Michelin star education and you might be calling something out or 
you know, running food, polishing forks, but they all treated one another with respect. They, the way that they referred to everybody as chef. Mm -hmm. But I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Because this, this show prompted a lot of questions because ultimately it's about mindfulness and, you know, self-growth. Can you think of a time when you were treated with such care and respect, and dare I say, even in equal, while you were still learning something? Literally everything with designing this restaurant has been like that. I've not had any oh. interactions like that that have not been like that. So I, the very first meeting that I had with the owner of the restaurant and the architect, like we've decided that we're going to do this. He's decided to run with me on this. He agrees. We're going full steam ahead. He you know, has taken over the space, et cetera. And we're sitting in our very first meeting with the architect. And I'm very nervous and trying to come across as confident, but I'm not. And kind of second guessing myself. And I was very quiet. And after the meeting was over, the owner, Dave, yelled at me after the architect <laughs> left. I mean, in a nice way. Lovingly. Lovingly, but was basically yeah. like, don't do that again. Why were you so quiet? Speak up, have mm -hmm. confidence. Don't just sit there quietly again. This is your show. Run with it. You know what Aww. you're doing. Don't be quiet again. This isn't going to work if that's what you're going to do. And it was amazing. He was like very serious about it and was not happy with me, but okay. obviously meant it in the nicest, most uplifting way. Stop, like, don't second guess yourself. Don't just sit there. I, I'm not answering these questions. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And the next time we met with the architect, I don't think Dave got in a word because I was talking the whole time. But <laughs> li literally every time, every meeting with a contractor, everything, mm -hmm. everyone has been, and it really is because Dave has made it very clear from the beginning that this is my project and I'm to be taken seriously and all the decisions I have to make them. And this has been new because I own a marketing business and I still feel like a lot of the time I have to explain to potential clients that marketing is necessary or that where you have to spend money or, you know, they don't always take my word for it. And it's very frustrating because I've been doing this for a long time now. I spend a lot of time researching, staying up to date, knowing what's going on. And then I'm always looking at the data and the analytics. So yeah, so this is the first project where I don't feel like I've had to you know, give any reason for why I'm making the decisions I'm making, which has been really nice. He gave you a permission slip. Yes, that's a good way to put it. What about you? What? Well, how about a time where you felt like that? So that I was treated like an equal mm -hmm. while I was still learning? Yeah. Never. Well, that's stupid. Well. Actually, let me let me revise that. I would say that any of the work that you and I have done together, I felt equal. If I didn't know something, I would say, hey, Lauren, I don't know how to do this. Can you show me how to do that? I never felt inadequate that I didn't have skill. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And you would tell me or show me. Well, I'm, very, I'm very glad to hear that. But I can't recall of any times that you've ever been like, I don't know how to do this. Or how do you do this? But that I'm so glad. So what, another one of my questions was going to be, tell us about your position as a creative director and what that entails from conception to current day operations. You kind of answered that. So can we talk about current day operations? What does a creative director do now that the restaurant is open and thriving and booking reservations, croissants flying out the door? Well, there's first there's all of the marketing. Mm. So yeah, the I website, see that happening. Yeah, the social, you know, the ad, then there's the pitching, the whole PR aspect. So everything in the world of PR and marketing, which you are just a cover girl <laughs> on a magazine, which you'll see if you're in our community, our oh, Facebook yes. community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there's a big part of the concept of the restaurant was to do fun events. And okay. we have a bunch planned, but really fleshing out that plan and coming up with a full Q4. These are the dates. This is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to execute them. This is what it's going to look like. So anything mm -hmm. having to do with that, mm -hmm. we opened and one wall didn't have all of the artwork. So 
from a design point of view, there's still aspects that I have to do. You know, there's still packaging we had to buy. So all of that, yeah, all of that stuff. Once we decided we were going to do catering orders for the pastries, getting those boxes, and then, you know, Thanksgiving, the holidays were coming up. So now the pastry chef and I are meeting to talk about what she wants to do with that, how we're, you know, so there's still so much brand packaging decisions, anything like that. And that never ends, which is exciting. Tell me there'll be a cranberry orange muffin in my future, please. Of course. Yes. The other thing that is (laughs) really funny, but coming up with the playlist and the musical vibe of the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a work in progress. I'm actually working with the company to develop that now. But that's a big thing. That's very, very important to me. Um, Beyond. Yes. And it's really these conversations I've had with this wonderful company, you know, we're laughing because a very specific, I don't ever want to hear these people. I don't ever want to hear this music. Oh, it can't be yeah. too much like this or too much like that. I don't want people feeling like they're going to sleep while they're eating lunch. Like it needs to be up mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it's just a lot of people have asked, well, now that it's open, how do you feel? I guess this means all your work is done. And it's like, no, no. I actually think it's been much harder since we opened. Work has just begun. Yeah. And working with the chef on the menu. It's a lot of just creativity and brainstorming and the menu Mm -hmm. design. So every time there's a change, updating it. And um, luckily I have, I mean, like Tom, our manager is incredible and he has tons of experience and has worked in a gazillion restaurants and has so many good ideas. And then Manisha, the chef, she's, you know, just incredibly talented, has a bunch of ideas. It's just... And obviously the pastry chef is incredible, except I feel like we're going to need a Peloton in the basement because we're all going <laughs> to not be able to fit in our pants soon. But everybody is really creative, which is really fun. Is takeout in the future? Because when I saw the lunch menu come mm-hmm. out, I was like, I really want that soup. And I got a soup to go. And I know it was not received well. because oh. Yeah. And I know soup is hard to go, but I love the potato leek soup. Love it. But I know it's a new restaurant. You're not prepared for takeout. And I think some chefs don't like takeout. I don't know what her feelings are for takeout, but I said no. When we first okay. talked, it was like, we're not doing takeout. Really? We'll do takeout for pastries and people can have doggy bags for leftovers. Oh. Mostly because... So this is you. This is me. It's a small, small restaurant. Yeah. So I didn't want people standing there waiting for their takeout orders, especially. You can can make them. They don't come in. Yeah. It's pretty much impossible to make people to to do things like that. Nobody follows directions. Yeah, that's true. It's not like we could do curbside because it's a small parking lot. And the neighbors in the shopping center for the past year have, you know, nicely just been really worried that as the restaurant gets busier since there are two restaurants next door how that affect parking especially at lunch because they're not open during dinner and then storage space we don't have as much as a lot of other restaurants so storing all of the takeout containers so yeah so that was my damn you i love takeout but you know it also is one of those things where most of the dishes especially for dinner you really You really need to eat them when they're made. We should tell listeners that your beautiful daughter, she worked at the restaurant this summer as hostess. And there was this one day that we're in there together for dinner. And I'm like, your mom should come in, you know, she should come, you know, sit at the bar and get a drink. And she goes, I should tell her she should. And five minutes later, she comes over. She's like, my mom's not coming. Now, I was there last night for drinks. Well, this was, no, like a month ago. She's like, no, she's home. She's in her bathroom. Like, she's cozy. She's fine or whatever. She (laughs) said something to that effect. Like, I'm I'm doing a disservice because it was funnier and even a better exchange than how I'm describing it. But basically what she was saying was, my mom is not really the spontaneous gonna, you know, throw on some clothes and come out for a glass of wine when I've mm-hmm. given her no notice type of person, Lauren. I don't know what we were thinking. She's clearly not going to do this. But it was so funny. And her face, yeah. she's like, Lauren, no. She's in her bathroom. She's good. 
But, but what I do is I text her and I'm like, can you bring me home a tomato tart? <laughs> and then she does a lunch shift and, and she says, oh, mom, the new menu came out. I'm like, sweet. I want to try that soup. And she's like, oh, no, no. So you you made not- her ask for to go soup. Oh, your heart. Yes. yes. And she was like, mom, no, I can't ask. I was like, I want to try it. Get Mom, take trouble. off your bathrobe, come inside, order it like a normal person. Do not put me in this position. But, oh my gosh, it's too funny. <laughs> I'm like, just bring it on me. Just say my mom wants to try it. It was very good. I love soup. I do too. I love soup. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then this is a good segue to this other question I have. In high stress situations, can you let yourself feel without lashing out? In the article that you sent me, which we'll post in the community because I think it's incredible. I it's saved incredible. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a great article to read along with watching the show. Even if you're not going to watch the show, you can just read the article and gain an understanding. There's a quote in there that says, feel more and suffer less. I wholeheartedly prescribed that. And I know we laugh about this all the time. I I have all the feelings. I want to feel all the feelings. I can sit in it and move through it. But in high stress restaurant environment can be really toxic. And you see that on the show and you, you hear it in stories of other chefs. You see it in reality shows. I don't know how reality it is, but how do you handle being in that high stress knowing I have to be careful what I say. I'm trying to create an environment here. Are kitchens always toxic? There's a lot of questions. I really don't. Hmm. Answer whichever one you like. (laughs) I really can't speak to the kitchen because that's its own world. When we first opened, I remember there was a Friday night that I was on site and helping and. I can't remember if our manager was away then or he was, I'm not sure, but anywho, and it was pretty early on and some table, there was a little bit of confusion with tables and there was an older couple who arrived and they had a reservation and they were standing there waiting for their table and we had to go and somebody had to go get a chair for the, and there was a lot of chaos and I was very surprised at how seamlessly and quickly I just all of a sudden started directing, like I directed the bus boy to please go down and get the chair. And I'm telling the hostess to please make sure that this older couple is seated right away. And then telling the hostess to tell them that the first round of drinks was on us because they were celebrating. They had to wait a little bit. They didn't even have Mm -hmm. to wait long, but they were an older couple. And I was very concerned that they were standing for too long. The gentleman had a cane. Anyway, so I had no real authority to make that decision. I don't know if that was something like that the owner would have agreed with whatever. I didn't care. I just, it was like a, there was a problem and it needed to be solved. And I just decided yeah, to do it. And yeah. I was surprised at how quickly that came <laughs> to me. And maybe it's just because I watched a lot of movies and I was like, well, this is what I've seen. And this yeah. is, and also this is what would make me come back. That This is the right thing to do. Yeah. It just felt right. But, you know, in terms, you know, can and the chaos and the toxicity, Mm -hmm. I don't see that in ours. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it is when you think about it, a kitchen is small space, a lot of people, a lot of movement. It's fast pace. Yeah, it is a lot of pressure. We live in this time where people can easily write a shitty Google review, a shitty Yelp review. And they do. And they do. Everybody, especially bored people, it's like the first thing that they want to do. Now everyone mm-hmm. has a phone and a camera. And so I can't say I'd ever want to work in a kitchen. I, I, it's too much pressure and there's just no way. And people, you just can't, you have to go into it knowing not everyone's going to be happy. You know, every night you're probably going to have at least one grumpy customer. And, you know, it's a lot. I don't want to work in my own kitchen. <laughs> Or in this article, one of the things, and I'm not gonna I'm not quoting this correctly, but he says there's some mention of when they're talking about every second counts, you know, taking that second to also pause and reflect mm-hmm. and absorb yeah. and just take a beat is it's really important. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things I really took away from the show. I love, I love every second count. I just love that. I love the concept. I love the sentence. I just, you know, it's just such a, such a great idea to have this season, especially really reflect that. But it's really true. I mean, it's not just necessarily about, like, I feel like when I first, when you say every second counts, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, life is short, live each moment, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that this article really made me think, okay, but it's not just that. It's also to take the time to absorb, to reflect, to pause. It doesn't have to be action, action, action. Every second Mm -hmm. counts, meaning be mindful of each second. And I have a question for you on that. When we think about the philosophy of every second counts and making the best choice you can in that second, Do you think instilling that belief in young people can create an obsession Then this surmounting fear of failure or doom is upon them if they don't make every second count? Will you then raise a person who is obsessed with perfection? Or do you think that you should just like casually say it or casually model that? And then let someone find it for themselves or realize later in life that that was modeled for them, that you've raised somebody or you've performed X. Every second has counted. Yeah, that is fairly interesting because you're right. It's multifaceted in the sense that every second count is a beautiful concept. But then, like you said, does that instill a sense of trying to drive for like drive for perfection only? It also... Mm -hmm. Now that once you've said that, the other thing that pops into my mind is it also kind of could instill a little bit of anxiety. For example, when I lived in New York City, I knew I wasn't going to be there forever, number one. And number Mm -hmm. two, New York City is a place where there's always stuff to do all of the time. Mm -hmm. And I found myself when I lived there getting anxious because I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't taking advantage of the time and the place enough. If I was sleeping in, I needed to be up and going for a run in Central Park. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. there is also that aspect of every second counts. Like, don't just sit on your laurels. Like, God forbid you sleep in. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. If somebody invites you to something, don't say no. You should go. Have all the experiences. So there is definitely a balance. I mean, I say to my kids all the time, I really try to say, okay, calm down, take a deep breath. We're one of those families where the boys like take a deep breath. No, 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 I need to see you take a deep breath. We're also one of those families where I say to the boys all the time, you know, pick your battles. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay if you did, if this didn't work out this time. It's all right. Let's try again. We're into Legos yeah. hardcore right now. So yeah. the building of it, which my oldest, you know, he gets like 1200 pieces and puts it together, you know, an hour. It's crazy. I don't know how he does it, but if he messes up, he gets really upset and we're like, no, no, it's fine. Just let's back up, take yeah. a breath. But I do think it's really about that breath, that second of breath, of taking a deep breath and calming down and just reflecting. Mm-hmm. Is this really a big deal? Mm-hmm. And it's funny too, because, you know, I don't love to give you pats on the back, but last summer when we were talking about human design and you were you know, sending me those voice memos with my about my chart and everything. I think yeah. it was maybe the first or second. That was a big, you know, that was a big message that you talked about, even sort of giving specific examples, like you might get an email and you feel like you have to respond right away. You might get a text mm-hmm. message, you feel like you have to respond right away. But the whole concept of just being like, take a beat, give yourself some time, have some reflection. Don't feel like you have to go, 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 respond, respond, respond. And mm-hmm. I do think that since you saying that, it's very top of mind. And I yeah. do that a lot more. Well, it was very difficult for me to say that to you because when I, I want you to respond to me right away. I know that. I don't worry. That's understood. I know. No, I know. I try very hard to not pressure you to respond because that's not correct for you. But I want the response right away. So it's always an inner battle. I'm like, oh, oh, I, I'm very here. And I do find myself <laughs> laughing. If like an hour has gone by, I come out of a meeting and I see that you text it like probably right when I went into the meeting. And I right, see that you text course. it 
a question that, of course, you'd want a response to. It's like a simple, like, can you do this now? Or what are you thinking? Like, you know, take me two seconds to respond. But it just happened to be a bad timing (laughs) thing. And I sort of start laughing to myself because I think, well, she's really the one that put into my head to take a beat. But I know her and I know she's over there being like, what the fuck? Just say yes or no. You know, so it is. Yeah, it does make me laugh to think about that. And it's all your fault. Because old Lauren would have been like, you know, responding immediately, feeling the pressure to get back to you right away. And new Lauren, because of you, is like, no, man, I'm going to relax. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to take a minute. (laughs) Well, actually, before we move on, I want to go back to the New York Lauren. What was the story that you were telling yourself when you were like, I should be getting up. I shouldn't waste any time. I should be throwing myself into all things New York. What was that story, that repetitive voice? And how did you know that you weren't listening to that story anymore? I mean, I still am kind of that person. Like, I'm not a person that sleeps in. And granted, I have two small kids and everything. But even if I could, I just don't relax. And I like to do things. Mm -hmm. So the story I tell myself now, which is the truth, I'm not a just sit here and relax person. I feel like before I was probably trying to be more of a chill human than I am. I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I I think I'm laid back, but I'd rather us get up and go for a bike ride or go for a hike or if we're not doing that, then I'd rather get up and go get my errands. You know, I don't want to just sit around. I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm going to sit around in my pajamas all day type of person. That's just not my personality. What's wrong with that? Nothing. If you want to be in your bathrobe instead of coming to a beautifully chic restaurant, having a glass of wine while your daughter's working at the hostess stand, that is your call. But it is the wrong call. Anyway, and I'm not well, talking I- about any specific story or person at all. This is just very, you know, just, just saying that. I do love the wine at your restaurant, actually. I have tried several rosés and they're all very very good. So one of, I just side note, one of the most popular ones, it's called Summer in a Bottle. And I fought very hard, put my foot down. I said, this is going to be served because it is one of my favorites. And it's from Long Island. And so every time we go to Montauk, we pass the winery and they have a wine stand. And my mom Mm -hmm. and I always buy a bunch of bottles. They're the most beautiful bottles. And it is seriously one of the best rosés I've ever had. And they see our wine list and it's wonderful that we have wines from all over the globe and then you see long island and so some people are like long island and i hear it when i'm there all the time and then they have it and they love it and they're surprised but it is funny because they're like well long island it can't be that that good well they are wrong and delightfully surprised can you do a flight we're gonna start flights Okay. We were just talking about that yesterday. I said, I'm, we need to do those ASAP. Sweet. Okay. So anyway, so New York, Lauren, the story I was telling myself was, if you can imagine, I graduate from college in 2007. It's the worst time in, I don't know, 100 years, 75 years, whatever, to get a job. Economic crisis. There's very few. I was, I had a plethora of jobs that began, ended some at the same time. So I was working a lot and really trying to make it work, but knowing that like I was, it probably wasn't going to. And I also met my now husband right before I moved. So I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. So I, I think in addition to putting all this pressure on myself to find a job and be happy and make this life, you know, I was also just telling myself I needed to do all of these things. And yeah. And I did most of them and I'm glad I did, but it was exhausting. And New York can also be hard because you have to have money. And where we were living in New York, everybody, it's what people were wearing. It's the lifestyles. We didn't live close to the subway station. So are you spending your money on a second cocktail or a cab home or, you know, so it was a lot. Do you obsess over any failures you've had? And also, I want to shift a little bit and talk about like your marketing business. And when you have clients, how do you help them through failures and not obsessing over 
these things, you know, getting caught up in every second counts with launching a new product. Like, what is your approach to that? I definitely like numbers. If something doesn't work for a client, whether, you know, it's an event, didn't get a great turnout. Yeah. And do you like events? I do. Okay. I do. I maybe it's even even pre-COVID, but I really think post-COVID, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how convenient Amazon is, which it is, and I use it and all of that. I do think that the majority of people want to go somewhere and shop. Maybe not all of the time, but it's not like it was before. You need to have an experience. You need to really give them that reason to come to your mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. So, and I think events are great and that in order to do that. And if you get them in the store, then of course, it's up to you to build that relationship and do all of that. So there's only so much you can do. But so what I try to do with clients, if things don't work out, is bring them numbers that either show them why maybe it didn't work out. Now, maybe we should have known that the event wasn't going to be a hit based on this factor. Or I try to bring information that shows you know, whether it's seasonality or, you know, here's the thing, like this month, our email open rate was this high. But then mm-hmm. since we started promoting the event, it was so much low. I try to bring them data. And I also yeah. try to come into whatever it is. If it doesn't work out, I try to say, okay, you know, the next time we go do this, what should we do? Here's what I could do better. Here's what I think, you know, as a team, we could do differently. And then I also say, but here's what's so great. We learned this or the people that did buy the product or come to the launch or purchase it or really excite it. So then how do we you know, utilize this excitement for them? I try to put a good spin on it or at least have some data so we can learn from it going forward. Now, sometimes things just shit the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need to know when to move on from something. And I think that's so exciting about your new consulting services that you can have a formula for someone and they can try yeah. those things or look at something that has just been a beat to death and say, okay, maybe I should stop putting my energy in this segment if it's not quite working for me, or I really just don't like to do that type of marketing. It doesn't work for me. What else can I try? Yeah. There's still a lot of businesses that feel like they need to be doing, you know, they need to be on every social media platform. Mm -hmm. You know, every time there's a new one, like when Snapchat came out, for example, I can't even tell you how many clients emailed or I would see them and they felt their business needed a Snapchat account. Like, no, and I'm not doing it. And that's not, right. you know, what it's used for. And, and going back to what you asked before, when did you feel confident and secure? And, dis- you know, this is one of those, that's a perfect example because if it always cracks me up, if you're going to hire an, you know, outside marketing help, it does need to be a relationship of trust. And you have to believe that I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've asked me a gazillion questions and I have very thoughtfully responded. I'm sure the listeners can agree. They've never heard me talk this much and they're probably overjoyed by the sound of my voice. I know I am. But (laughs) you've had a lot of things going on, a lot of exciting things. You're getting your Pilates teaching certification or you've started that ball rolling. You're building a barn and doing all this great stuff at your house with the horse. You, know, you always have a lot going on. And so how does that tie into every second counts for you? Are you just very excited about lots of things? Do you ever feel like you're overextending yourself by doing so oh, many? Yeah. Oh, yeah. After you sent that picture of, of uh, the donkey, I believe you posted it. To, and then my husband was like, yes, let's get donkeys. This is how it starts from just you sharing the one picture of the donkey. And so now I'm trying to put my foot down and I'm like, can we just focus on like the necessities in life right now? We just had three days without power. We've been camping in the house. I couldn't even go to Pilates because I wasn't quite sure I would get a shower in. There's just life just always throws you so many curveballs and every second does count. So you just think, okay, I have no power. I have no water. Kids don't flush the toilet. 
let's go to Walmart. And I bought all of the water jugs. And then my husband's like, it's the generator up. And now the well is pumping the water. And he says to me, what are you going to do with all these water jugs? And I was like, well, it's distilled water and I'm going to make rim sprays with the water. And then when it's empty, we're going to use those jugs to desensitize the horses. I'm always thinking about what I can create and what I can do within all of those seconds. My mind is like always going. So I always have a lot going on. That was not an answer, was it? We should cut yes, all of that. Yes, it was an answer. Well, first we should address the fact that while most people gum would be an impulse purchase, for you it was almost donkeys, 100%. Oh. And then I said, Timber is not going to like the donkeys. She's going to be so pissed because then he was like, oh, I'll fence in the yard. And so initially I thought, you're going to put a new fence and fence in the whole property so that the donkeys and the dogs can be together, which you really can't do unless you raise the donkeys because they're very territorial dogs unless they're raised together. But initially I thought that's the catalyst for me to get a fenced in property is to get the baby donkeys. Maybe I should just say yes and forget about the 30 year commitment because I want a fenced in property. And if he knows those babies are arriving, he'll fence it in. So at the end of the day right <laughs> now, are we getting the donkeys or no? I don't know. It's, mm, in it's his, still up in the air. It's, I don't know. They're really cute. I saw the pictures. I actually thought uh, you already bought them. You know, it was like polling people on Instagram. Should we get baby donkeys? 100% of people said yes. Anyway, I just, I really appreciate life. I loved the show because I like to feel. And yeah, this is my takeaway for basically just every second counts is investing in people by recognizing their value is the absolute most extraordinary luxurious gift that you can give and when every second counts pause to gain the capacity for awareness and redirection towards appreciating our life's purpose love and forgiveness and only then can we begin to understand what it means to have a well-lived life I love that. That's beautiful. It really, yeah, I just loved the show. I just thought it was phenomenal. But, and obviously this is, you know, very relatable for me. The characters are dealing with the brother dying unexpectedly. No one was prepared for it. And then they're just thrown into this situation where they have to take over this business and work together. And they have to survive all of this. Yes. So the other thing that was really interesting, what they showed, and I, I don't know, I can't come up with another, you know, show or movie where, that really illustrated this so well is they're not taking any time. The sister, Carmi's sister, keeps reaching out to him in season one, being like, you need to go to a meeting or see if there, but you need to do something. But that aspect, and as people will know once we share the Enneagram episode, is I am somebody that goes, 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 mm -hmm. and doesn't want to stop and reflect Mm -hmm. on feelings or being sad. I want to hide it. So I definitely really connect it with the fact that there's this, it's like a big elephant in the room. Are we not going to talk about the fact that, you know, the brother has died. He's died by, right. you know, he shot himself. He was doing drugs in front doing of you. drugs, shot yeah. himself on a bridge, super tragic, takes his own life. And, you know, let's just go. No, we've got a restaurant. We've got this, we've got that. Yeah. And watching We're it from an outsider's point of view you know, as the audience you're like oh my gosh they need to deal they need to to take a breath I feel like I said that poorly but it was interesting you know reading the Enneagram being like oh my gosh this is me watching you know, thinking about the show being like oh my gosh no wonder it resonated so much that's what I do yeah and in so many of our episodes the ego comes up and in something that I always replay in my head is you said but the ego is a character. He is an important character here. Mm -hmm. And I loved when the girl that becomes the equal chef to Carmi is applying and she recognizes him and she says, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm making sandwiches. Yeah. I love that because what's the purpose of doing all of this? You can't just do something simply and do it well. Mm hmm. Oh, that's a huge takeaway. And also, that's a really good point. Every second counts. Take the second. What is the motivation here? What is the ultimate goal? 
what's the most important thing? What matters most? Yeah. Right. We don't need chaos in our life in order to feel alive. And it's painful when you see people creating chaos just to feel something or to motivate themselves or to feed the stories that they tell themselves. We don't need to live in chaos. No, we do not. Nope. Okay, any final thoughts? Since you are a, are you a restauranteur? What do we call you? I'm a designer. Definitely not a restauranteur. I'll take designer. I'll take designer. You know what I forgot? This might not flow, but in the episode with Richie, he's talking to the chef and she's, she's doing a very simple, mindless task of mm-hmm. cutting vegetables. And mushrooms. He, mushrooms. Peeling and mushrooms. Peeling mushrooms. Thank you. And he you know, says to her, why are you doing this? Shouldn't the, yeah. you know, prep cooks or whatever. And she says that she likes to do it. She likes to start her day that way. And she seems very zen, very mm-hmm. relaxed. I mean, you believe her in this. It's very almost meditative. Like she's just oh. in a routine. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tasks like that? Is there anything? I mean, back in the day when you first started with jewelry, I don't know. I feel like you, you were never somebody, you know, like sitting there beading or making necklaces in that way. Because obviously you're... I hate beads. Yeah, I hate beads. Because you're not a bead person. But I love to look at them and I always tell myself I'm going to make some beaded necklaces. And then I'm like, fuck you, beads. I don't know. I love them on other people. You don't want me to go on a whole tangent about beads. I try. I'm trying to repair a healthy relationship with beads. But okay. I'm not really a routine person. I can adapt to any situation. And I have the ability to find my Zen when I need it. I think that's awesome. But I think that just comes from years of of exploring a lot of the concepts or the things that we saw in this show, like the explosive behavior or like letting emotions rule you. And we've talked about this before in, in the friendship episode. And I think I have been witness to a lot of it. And some relationships can be irreparable. Every second counts. What are you saying? What are you doing? You have to remove yourself from that toxicity and realize your self-worth. That's why I love the message of investing in people when they don't see their value in themselves. That's so important. I think that's the one thing that maybe I, I do the most in my life is I find ways to have that connection for other people, but it's so rewarding for me. And I do sometimes think about myself last. I'm just not very good at giving you the answer. I think you gave a perfect answer. That's not your style. You're not a monotonous task type of person. I am not a monotonous. I'm not not. That's not my personality at all. She found enjoyment knowing that I am going to peel this mushroom because if somebody notices that I've taken the time to peel this plate, they're going to know that I care. And the fact that she was the chef of the best restaurant in the world and she took the time to do that little task. But in the one chance that somebody does notice that fulfills her. You know, just like when I got my salmon upside down and I, to me, it was upside down. I had never experienced it in that way. After that moment on the show, I now look for those very, very small details. And I'm being disappointed all of the time because most people don't care enough. No, it is very upsetting. They don't. People just don't. But when you speak to somebody who does, who notices the details. Right. Yeah. I told you that I loved the leather on the wine list that you chose. And I quote, you said to me, I'm not fishing for compliments, but thank you. And I was like, good bitch. No, I noticed. And when I held the wine menu, I was like, ooh. Yes. They, I, yeah, well, that speaks to me, not for you, or not to you. I clearly have a whole bag of issues. Can't take compliments and... 
all that. But I'm very glad. I really want to give the company who made them a shout out. The leather feels so good. And my daughter told me, you have to give that back because (laughs) they have a limited amount of them and they will need to circulate them. So make your decision quickly and move along. And I was like, no, I like hold it and press it against me. When we were there the other night for drinks and appetizers, my husband said to me, I really hope these bar stools are not permanent. And I was like, oh, and he is just as picky as I am. And I said, why? He goes, because I want them. (laughs) Well, I'll ask her where she got them. (laughs) Well, that means a lot because, as you know, that was one of the longest projects is trying to find bar stools. I really appreciate that you notice things and that you notice details, thoughtful details. And I appreciate that you commented on the wine list because they are beautiful. Well, I'm going to say this episode was full of thoughtful chaos. Yes. Agreed. Mic drop. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Lessons in Luxury. Every second counts. If you want to spend more time with us, join our Facebook group for the podcast community. We post regularly with behind the scenes question prompts for upcoming episodes, Goodreads, sneak peeks before episodes air, and our latest luxuries. Also, if you are searching for a personal power object, a good luck charm, or a talisman to shield yourself, I've got you covered. Or if you have a small business or incubating an idea, you can work with Lauren one-on-one for her new consulting service. When it comes to design, branding, marketing, and consistency, we all have our blind spots. Yet, sometimes we want someone to listen to our ideas or share valuable insights. Contact Lauren if you would benefit from a fresh set of eyes or a brainstorming partner. If you love these conversations and want to show your support, please leave us a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button for all the luxuries for your soul. Bye, everyone. Bye.